I will be reading Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 through 31. Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31. Even youth, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall, mount up like, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and, and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Most everybody knows what it's like to want something to happen. You're waiting, and you really wish whatever it is that you're waiting on would hurry up. Maybe you're waiting for the arrival of someone, or maybe you're waiting for the alleviation of, like we talked about this morning, a, a suffering or a trial that's going on in your life. Or maybe you're just waiting for something to be different because the circumstances you find yourself in, they're just not the most pleasant. You wish that something would change. There is something very important about waiting on the Lord. As a matter of fact, you'll find that expression, waiting on God or waiting on the Lord, frequently in the Bible. It is one of the most important disciplines that a child of God can cultivate in his or her life. The discipline of waiting on God. Because the thing is, we're often in a big hurry, and God doesn't always choose to work in a hurry. He doesn't always choose to work as quickly as we wish He would. But God has His reasons, and He is infinitely wise. And because we trust Him, and because we believe that He knows what's best, we are to humble ourselves and to wait. Just consider with me briefly some passages in Scripture that talk about waiting on the Lord. One is what Kyle just read a moment ago, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And notice that there are three different ways life can work. You can soar with wings like eagles. You can run. Sometimes in life, that's what we do is we run fast pace. And sometimes life is just like a crawl, just walking one step at a time. And the passage is saying that when we wait for the Lord, there will be strength no matter how fast or how slow life is moving. Not only that, there's another passage, Psalm 25, verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you, O Lord, shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. There is a discipline of turning our eyes to God, looking to Him in our trials and our distress, and waiting for His blessing and His salvation. Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, when the Bible says something once, it's important. When the Bible repeats itself, it's extremely important. And the psalmist is telling you, if you want to find joy and hope and salvation in God, waiting for the Lord is the ticket. It's the way. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, after the conclusion of his earthly ministry, after his resurrection, Jesus spoke to his apostles, and here's what he said. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high. My point, though, is Jesus told those apostles to wait, and he didn't tell them how long they would have to wait. The intimation is that it's not going to be long. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave. Don't depart. But he didn't tell them how many days it would be. 
And then when you get over to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the day of Pentecost, that's when all that Jesus had promised, all that God had promised throughout the ages, the Holy Spirit was poured out on those apostles. But we sometimes lose sight of the fact that they had to wait and they had no idea how long it was going to be. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes to his brethren, and he talks about how they were converted. And here's what he says. He's talking about these pagans who have turned to Jesus. And he says, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's a description of the Christian life, by the way. That we were walking in our own footsteps, we were walking in our own path, and we saw the light, we saw what Jesus Christ has done for us through the gospel, and we turned from those worthless things to serve the living and true God. And now what we're doing as Christians, all of us, we are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, I have not heard a finer Bible class in a long time than what I heard this morning right here in this auditorium. If you have a chance this week, go back and watch the video of Brother Larry's lesson on the return of Jesus from 2 Peter chapter 3. It was outstanding and it will encourage your heart. We need more teaching like that. And thank you, Larry, for doing that. I know I'm embarrassing you by saying that, but people, people need to hear that kind of teaching more. Larry and Randy have done a tremendous job teaching First and Second Peter this quarter, and I appreciate that. We as Christians are waiting, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. All of us need to think about what it means to wait on the Lord. Three considerations in our study this evening. Number one, we need to consider as Christians, if we're going to wait for the Lord and do this successfully, we need to consider how God thinks about time. Because God thinks about time differently than you do. You get into a situation, I get into a situation, it just seems like the days are dragging by. Parents with young kids, I remember having young kids, and I remember feeling like this is never going to end. Some of the things that, some of the trouble, some of the trials, some of the things you deal with with young kids, I, I just, this is never going to end. We need to stop and consider sometimes how God thinks about time. Consider this, 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day. When God looks at the world and when God looks at history, time is as if it was nothing to him. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about you and it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear that we, we are going through difficult times. That's not what that passage means. It just means that with God, Time is kind of irrelevant in some ways. He exists outside of time. And one of the things we need to do if we're going to wait on the Lord successfully is remember that God thinks in, I'll call it Bible time. Long periods of time are as nothing to God. Psalm 90 verses 10 through 12, the psalmist writes this, the years of our life are 70 or if by reason of strength 80, yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Now I think of 80 years as being a long time. I think of that as being, you know, I mean, that's, that's a good long life. But the psalmist is saying, they're soon gone and they fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath that you have? We need to think about how God thinks about time. He looks at our lives and he says, those 80 years you've lived, those 90 years you've lived, those are like a drop in the bucket as far as I'm concerned. That's how God thinks about time. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17 
Paul was enduring trials, and here's what he said about his trials. He said, we do not lose heart in our trials because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner man, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. See, whatever Paul was going through and whatever you're going through, thinking about it the way God thinks about it, it is a light momentary affliction. And what it's doing in your life is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How does God think about time? God looks at time and he looks at our lives. And even though we may live for nine decades, God says, it's as if a drop in the bucket. And whatever we endure and whatever we suffer, it is a light momentary affliction. It's the way God thinks about time. And you can look at examples in the Bible of of people who, who reflect this. For example, Abraham, 25 years from the time God said you're going to have a son until he actually had the son of promise, remember? 25 years. 17 years for Joseph from the time he was sold into slavery until the time he was elevated and uh, to, to ruler of Egypt and met his brothers. 17 years. Moses. Moses was ready to deliver Israel when he was 40 years old. And then God sent him out into the wilderness for 40 years to shepherd a bunch of sheep around a bunch of rocks. And then 40 more years wandering in the wilderness. And Moses didn't even get to receive the inheritance because of his sin in the wilderness. 40 years, 40 years. Caleb, Caleb was ready to go and take the land. He and Joshua, remember in Numbers 13, we can go, we're well able to overcome it. But the children of Israel said, no, we can't. And therefore, Caleb waited 40 years. The Israelites, from the time God made the promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to show it to you. From the time that God made that promise until you get to Joshua 21, where the Bible speaks about how God had done every single thing that he promised. He had given everything to the Israelites that he promised them he would. 500 years. And yet as God is concerned, it's like a drop in the bucket. How God thinks about time. David. You remember when they anointed David? 1 Samuel 16, the Bible says that they were, you know, bringing all the sons of Jesse and finally David, the the young runt of the litter, the guy that nobody thought would be the king, they anointed him. Do you realize it was 20 years more in David's life from the time he was anointed to be the king until he became the king? 20 years, two decades. Consider how God thinks about time. What about Jesus? He's the son of God. At 12 years old, Jesus said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business in Luke chapter 2. It's not as if he didn't know what he was here for, but 30 years old when he was baptized and when his earthly ministry began. Three decades. And Jesus did his earthly ministry. The most important work he did was done in that three and a half years at the end of his earthly ministry. I'm bringing all this to your attention so that you and I can think about two things. Number one, brothers and sisters, fast isn't always better. It's just not. I know people think it is. I know culture tells us it is. But in God's way of reckoning things, fast is not always better. Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And sometimes the slow and the steady plodding way that brings a harvest, and maybe a harvest we don't even live to see, that may well be God's way. Secondly, 
when I look in the Bible for urgency, okay, urgency is not typically found in passages where God's making a promise. Sometimes it is. Sometimes God says, this promise I've given to you and I'm going to make it happen really fast. And there's a little bit of urgency there. But in the, in the Bible, when I find urgency in my study of God's word, I find urgency when God's telling you and telling me, obey my word. Do what I have told you to do. That's where the urgency in the Bible is. The urgency is not in God's saying, I've made a promise and okay, I'm going to hurry up and make it happen. That's not to say that God is slack concerning his promises, but God has his purposes as we're going to talk about shortly. And so if we're looking for urgency, we're going to find it in the passages that say, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. How long will you falter between two opinions? First Kings chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. Acts 22, 16, why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away your sin. God doesn't always get in a hurry, but he does say urgency is needed in our obedience to his word. Secondly, as we think about waiting on the Lord and doing this successfully, I want you to consider for a moment the blessings of waiting. And there are some, I'm just going to name three this evening, three blessings that come from waiting on the Lord. Blessing number one is this. Brothers and sisters and friends, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed everything you know to pray and you continue to pray about a situation, when you resolve that you're going to wait on the Lord, suddenly it removes a great deal of pressure. It's a lot like what we talked about a week ago. Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. First Peter 5 verse 7. That removes a lot of pressure because all of a sudden it's not up to me. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm obeying his word. I'm doing what I can. I'm being proactive and striving to resolve this. But I'm going to wait on God. And he's the only one that can fix this. He's the only one that can resolve this. Second Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10. Paul prayed about his thorn in the flesh. Remember? He prayed three times that the Lord might remove it. And the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response at that time was, therefore, I am well content. I'm well content with sufferings for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It removes pressure. Second blessing of waiting. It builds endurance. I'm kind of in awe of Larry Boyd and Tim Brown and Michael Poole. Those guys, they, they had the ambition anyway of running the Katy Half Marathon a week ago. I couldn't run 13.1 miles. Not even if my life depended on it. I couldn't run that far. I could probably run from here to the back of the auditorium and I'd be winded, but I can't run 13 miles. One of the things about waiting on the Lord, brothers and sisters and friends, is that as we learn to wait patiently on God to answer prayers, to fulfill promises, to resolve situations, to mend relationships, as we wait on him to do those things, there's something changing in us too. Endurance. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 32 through 36. Hebrews chapter 10. Just, just notice this for a moment. And the Hebrews writer is talking to his Christian brethren, and, and he's talking to them about the fact that they need to hold on to Jesus. They don't need to give him up. Beginning in verse 32, recall the former days, Hebrews 10, 32, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle. You remember what it used to be like, he says? 
It goes on and says in verse 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, Hebrews 10, 36, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He's telling his brethren, if you want to put it in 20th century English, you need to hold on and don't give up. The only thing you lack in your faith is the will to hold on. The desire to not give up on your faith. That's what you need. Wait on the Lord. Third, the blessings of waiting. I have found it to be true, and the Bible bears this out, that God often does some of his most amazing work in the in-between while you're waiting. Some of the most amazing things God has ever done have been done while people wait on him. And it will be true in your life as well. Mark 5, 24, while Jesus was on his way to raise Jairus' daughter, this little girl is deathly ill. She actually died while he was on the way. He's interrupted. A woman reaches out in the crowd and touches the hem of his garment and is healed of her issue of blood. God did an amazing work in the in-between. Psalm 119, verse 67, the psalmist looked back on his suffering and back on his waiting on the Lord, and he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, now that I've waited on you, I keep your word. God often does his most amazing work while we're waiting on him. I wish I didn't have to wait. I wish things would hurry up. I wish this would be over. I wish this would change. I wish something new would happen. God often does amazing things while we're waiting. And we need to open our eyes and our ears to see that. Third, I want you to consider for just a moment some areas where waiting is difficult. Some areas of our lives where waiting is especially difficult. If you're having trouble seeing what I'm talking about tonight, maybe this will help. Number one, oftentimes we have to wait for an answer to prayers. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, and nothing seems to change, at least to our eyes. And you wonder, does God hear me? Are my prayers getting higher than the ceiling? Is there something going on in my life that's hindering my prayers? That can happen, by the way, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel was praying about his country. He was praying about the, the return of the Israelites from captivity. And he sees a vision. There's an angel that comes to him and he says, I was dispatched at the moment you began to pray. It's not that God doesn't hear, but oftentimes our waiting on the Lord in the response to prayer, it's a part of the process. Secondly, area where waiting is difficult, resolution to a crisis. There's a crisis in your life something taking place that you wish were different, something that you didn't invite into your life and you're waiting for that to be resolved. You're waiting for something to get better. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible is Jehoshaphat's prayer in Second Chronicles 20. And the way that he ends that prayer is he says, God, here we are, your servants. We don't know what we should do, but our eyes are watching you. I love that phrase, don't you? Our eyes are watching you. We don't know. We don't know how this is going to be resolved. We don't know what our enemies are going to do. But we're looking to you, waiting on the resolution to a crisis. 
What about the fulfillment of a promise? Simeon, this elderly man who served in the temple, he had been promised by the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, that he would not die until he had seen the Savior born. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And I don't know how long that promise had been made previously, but Simeon had to wait. And finally one day, here come Joseph and Mary and their little baby boy, Jesus, to present him to the Lord in the temple. And Simeon, it was the greatest day of his life. And he said, my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. God has been faithful to his promise. And I want to tell you something this evening, brothers and sisters and friends, God never, never, never fails to keep his promise. Even when you have to wait, he will never fail. You hold on to those promises. What about the mending of a relationship? You got people in your life that you want to unfriend. You got people in your life that you wish you could ghost or disappear from, but you're waiting for the mending of that relationship. You're praying about the resolution. We're at odds with each other, and we've been at odds for a long time, and I wish things were different. Genesis 50, verse 20. After 17 years, Joseph finally says to his brothers, and by the way, the crisis in Genesis 50 was that Jacob had died, Joseph's dad, and the brothers were thinking, you know, Joseph was just being nice to us while dad was alive, and now that dad's dead, He's going to lower the boom on us, you know. That's what they were thinking. And that's when Joseph shows his true colors. He says, you know, you meant this to me for evil, but God meant it for good. The mending of a relationship. You might have to wait a couple decades. I hope that's not the case. But that doesn't mean we should give up on having a forgiving heart and a desire to reconcile with somebody. Waiting on the Lord to work and to act and to help, and to bless, and to strengthen. It is difficult in the extreme, but this is what faithful people do. Because we believe that we are not walking the path of life alone. And we believe that God is going to help us every step of the way. And sometimes all we can do is walk humbly with Him, wishing that things went faster, but realizing that we can be content even when we just have to walk. Wait on the Lord. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can have your sins washed away so that you can become a child of God. This is a great time and a great opportunity for you to make that decision if you've already made it. If you'd like to come and ask for prayers, we always welcome those who would like to ask the church to pray for them, and we'd love the opportunity to do that. If we can help you in a public way, won't you respond to the invitation tonight while together we stand and while we sing?